All right, you guys, if you got your Bibles, can you open them up to Acts chapter 8? Going to be looking at verse 26 and on in the chapter. The Lord has just been working revival in Samaria. Uh, Just as he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 18, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon the early church, they would be uh, bold witnesses of Jesus and of the gospel. It would start out locally in Jerusalem, the Judea area, and then it would spread to the regional area of Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, uh, and so right now we're kind of in that second phase of the Samaria area being reached by the gospel. Um, and so last week we saw that persecution drove the church out of Jerusalem and drove them with open mouths about the gospel to that region just south of Galilee, south of the Sea of Galilee. And there was a a particular man named Philip who was very useful in this revival. Now, he's the same Philip from Acts chapter 6, one of the first deacon-type men, uh, one of those servants that was used to uh, serve tables in Acts chapter 6. He was a man full of the spirit of good report, great qualifications over this man as he served people in a practical way. And I keep coming back to it just as we're in these kind of deacons being used for evangelism passages where Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.13 that those who've served uh, well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so that often is the case that as people are serving and no doubt in the office of deacon, which is what Paul was talking about there, but I also see it so often in um, just people that are serving, people that are coming down here to the church and cleaning toilets and mopping floors and vacuuming up confetti and pulling weeds and dusting, you know, ceiling fans, if you can reach them. Uh, By the way, that's a need that we need. So if anyone wants to get up there, let's take care of those bad boys. Um, But, uh, you know, that man, as they're just spending time with the Lord, serving his people, praying for people, they leave this place and they're just filled up, ready to be useful, even in an outreach capacity. But we do see this revival happening with the mouth of Philip preaching the gospel. And then Philip's also going to be used in the latter part of Acts chapter 8 for a revival, not in necessarily... Um, like a region, but in a man, in one man's life. So let's look at it, huh? Acts chapter eight, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And so we have in Old Testament fashion, reminiscent of the prophet Elijah, you know, the Lord speaking and calling and guiding and directing and moving a man of God. Here it says that it was an angel of the Lord that spoke. It's the same word. Spirit was interchangeable. In a little bit, we're going to see that then the Holy Spirit told Philip to go overtake the chariot. So um, whether it was an angel or the spirit of the Lord, um, you know, we definitely see that the spirit of God is speaking here. It's a word interchangeably uh, to just show that it was divine guidance that was leading Philip. And uh, Philip was a frontline man, James Montgomery Boyce said, a frontline man. He seemed to be utterly indispensable, yet it was at this precise moment when God called him to leave the area of Samaria. Now think about it. 
revivals going on. I don't know if you've ever been around an area where the Lord is moving in tremendous power. And by God's grace, I would say that's been the work of the Lord in this church for a couple of years where the Lord is on the move and doing great and radical things in people's lives. But if you've been around a revival and in the move of the Lord, um, you want to stay around that place, right? I mean, God is on the move. It's exciting things. People are being freed from sin and oppression and, and bondage and, and from paganism and heathenism. And they're moving to know the living God and seeing deliverance and healings and freedom. And there's great joy in the city of Samaria, we read in the chapter. And now the Lord tells Philip, go to the desert. Great. You know, <laughs> Oh, I was hoping you'd say that. It's what I really wanted more than anything in this world, you know. Uh, Go on out to the desert. In fact, I want you to take a specific road. How interesting how specific the Lord is when he calls us places, right? A specific road. It was uh, from uh, Aberdeen University, J. Howard Marshall, who said, uh, it was important that Philip should know which road to take. Had he taken another road he would have missed the Ethiopian eunuch. Important to know what road it was. Or as MacArthur says, there were two roads from Jerusalem to Gaza and the spirit commands Philip to take the one that was seldom used. And so in good old Robert Frost fashion, you know, Philip was called to take the road less traveled. Go on from, you know, to the road leading from Jerusalem to Gaza, take the one less traveled, go on out to the desert. It's such an incredible testimony of the people of God that they are willing to go and move when the Lord says, go, go now. Don't ask questions. Just be faithful to heed my voice. It's in the spirit of Abraham. And Abraham is told in Acts chapter or in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith that he went to a land he knew not. That's the testimony of Father Abraham, who had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. The testimony of Father Abraham is that when he heard the call to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and to go to a land that he knew not, he picked up and he went. And that's the story of the people of God. G. Campbell Morgan said, if Christ is hindered, it is because some Philip is not willing to go, exclamation point. You know, the Lord wants to reach the unreached people of the world. There are people in all sorts of foreign lands. Nepal is close to our heart as a church. Man, Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam and Iran and Iraq and many places that have never heard of Jesus Christ. And and people aren't going. For 2,000 years, people aren't going. And there's many reasons that have hindered them. And some of them are legitimate, rough, hard things. But there's also places around this area. There are unreached in our area who are up in the high and the dry places, people in the hard to reach places, people in the nobody wants to go over there. There's hardly a gas station, you know, or there's, there's, uh, there are rough people, you know, or they're on the toothless side of things, or they're on the toothful. I think they have an extra row of teeth on the, in that mouth, you know, and uh, looking at a dentist, right? When I say that, no, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. Uh, but, uh, you know, but we go when the Lord calls us and that's the testimony of why the gospel has reached Oregon in the last 2000 years. Because faithful men and women have gone when the Lord has said, go. J. Howard Marshall also said that the church didn't simply stumble upon the idea of evangelizing the Gentiles. It did so in acceptance with God's deliberate purpose. You know, missions is not an accident of the Lord. 
It's, you read the Old Testament and you can underline all the times that the Lord's heart is to reach the nations with his glory and grace. That all the people, Psalm 67 is like a trumpeting verse of our church, a, a passage from our church. Let all the peoples praise him. Let all the peoples praise him. It's repeated four times in that chapter. Let the peoples praise him. Lord, bless us. Lord, cause your face to shine upon us. Be merciful to us so that they may know your saving ways and they might enjoy you, that they might see your justice and your righteousness established among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That's the heart of the Lord in the Old Testament and the New, and he is strategic and he is purposeful to reach the people. And, and the church gets to be a part of that. It's in accordance with his will. And so what does Philip do? Leave the revival in Samaria. You've made all these new friends. There's all these new disciples. People are getting baptized by the droves and they're full of the Holy Spirit. Go to the road to Gaza. And then there's this narrative bullet point fun fact that Luke gives us at the end of the verse. This is desert. <laughs> All right. It's so fun. Thank you, Luke, for that fun point. Now, moving on. What did Philip do? Verse 27. So he arose and went. That's our heritage, you guys. Our heritage and the fathers of our faith. You know, as a, as a patriot who loves the United States and, and appreciates the great quote, that we do not come from fearful people, you know, it's, it's all the more true for the church. We do not come from fearful people. We come from people full of the Holy Spirit who when the Lord says, go and do it, they arise and they go and they do it. Oswald Chambers has a famous quote where he says, faith never knows where it's being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. It is the life of faith, not of intellectual reason or of intellect and reason, but a life of knowing who makes us go. So knowing the Lord, being full of faith, being like father Abraham, who by faith went to the land that he knew not. So Philip arose and went good friend of mine who uh, began the, the, the group we go with so often to Nepal. The Lord's recently changed our direction in Nepal. Uh, but the man that I know and a good friend, many of you know him, he has just a testimony of being faithful in the little things in life. And he'll speak at missions conferences about this. And he'll just say, you guys, start out small. And when you just feel that gentle nudge of the Lord, be quick to obey. You know, be quick to obey. Um, you know, there's the old s s slogan of the soldier, right? Ours is not to reason why, but to do or die. You know, uh, Lord, what did you just say to do? I said, you go over there, you talk to that person. Boom, like don't, don't overthink it. Don't overreason it, cross the street and go speak to the person. And my friend, he's just said, as you are faithful in those little things, it makes it all the more easy to do the bigger things when the Lord calls you. Just as Jesus says, doesn't he? If you're faithful in the little things, I'll make you ruler over much. He, my friend tells this story of uh, riding on a train in India and, uh, and, and being just at a place where it was nighttime and the clickety clacks of the tracks. And the Lord speaks to him and he just, he, he senses the Lord say, jump off the train right now. And, you know, okay, first of all, 
might really want to make sure that you've been in touch with the Lord and praying with the Lord and fasting and reading the word. Like, I don't, I'm not just saying go take the next trip over up to, you know, up the, the Seattle or wherever it is the train goes, you know, but he was just walking with the Lord in those small things. And when the Lord said, hop off, he took his trekking pack, he tossed it off the moving train and he jumped off of the train. And as he kind of rolled to a stop, he stood up. It's pitch black in the bush of India. And he sees way off in the distance, one single light. And he sensed the Lord just saying, go to the light. And as he walked and walked and walked all night, he came to the light and there was a man standing outside of a village. And the man said that someone in white appeared to me and told me that you would come and tell me how to know my creator and how to be forgiven of my sins. And so Jack, my friend, spoke the gospel to this individual, and then he went and told the village about Jesus, and that village came to know the Lord. It's, it's New Testament, isn't it? New Testament fashion. And he just spoke to us, and he just said, have those lives that, you know, it starts with the, go open that door for that person and smile at them today, and just speak words of life into them. Speak something about Jesus into them. Go out and reach out to that person and speak hope into their life, the hope of Jesus. Go and plow that person's driveway. Go make that neighbor across the street who just broke her foot. Go make her a meal and speak to her about the grace and the love of God. This week, a little gal down the street that everybody loves in my neighborhood, uh, she walks with trekking poles and she gets all dolled up. I mean, she has a scarf on and a nice hat, puts her lipstick on, wears gloves, and she just goes a trekking and goes to the neighborhood. And everyone loves her. She smiles at everyone. And my neighbor told me that her husband... Um, is in the hospital and I'd, I hadn't got a chance to go and, and reach out to her and love on her. And this week I just saw her coming through in front of my house and I, I had our two just incredible buff dogs that I have to unload from my truck, <laughs> you know, and they start barking and I just sense the Lord just saying, just go right now and go and speak to her. Just went over to her and just began to speak to her about just the hope that we have in Jesus for her husband who's on the doorstep of eternity and just, I, I know she's a believer. And as I spoke with her, she's crying and I'm crying and we're blubbering all over the street. And I'm speaking of the hope of Jesus. And another neighbor of mine is weeding his yard. And I'm just speaking the hope of Jesus loud enough for him to also be hearing. And then praying over her and just, Lord, here's where you've got me. Just let me cross the street, speak to this person. Let me go reach out to this individual and to always be in the footsteps of believing Abraham. And so Philip was a guy that when the Lord said go, he, he went. And, uh, but the interesting thing is that God sovereignly works on both sides of equations. Not only is God working in Philip's life, go from North Samaria, head down South to Jerusalem, and then hit the road over, uh, to Gaza, which is desert. But he's also leading a man from Africa to take the same route uh, head over towards the sea to then head south and go uh, to Africa uh, as well. And, uh, and so the Holy Spirit was moving in that guy's life as well. It was Guzik that uh, said, uh, Philip wasn't the only one being led by the Spirit. The man of Ethiopia was also, though he did not yet know it. And so if you're ever wondering, you know, would the Lord ever save this person that I've got on my heart to come to know Jesus? Pray for that person. 
pray for the sovereign God of salvation to be working over on that side of things. You're already praying, help me to talk to them, help them to open my mouth. I don't know what I'll say. I don't know if I'm good at this, but also pray. I don't know if they're good at listening. I don't know if their heart is even soft. Lord, be preparing them. Lord, be leading. We pray for those open doors, right? Or those divine um, what do we call them? Divine appointments, right? Uh, just pray for those people to cross your paths. You never know what the Lord might have for you. And so here was this divine p- person. Uh, here was this person. Uh, behold, in verse 27, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem uh, to worship. So we have this individual. He's uh, from Ethiopia, from the Horn of Africa. Uh, really, it was a large area, including that of Sudan, rather than just what we know of modern day Ethiopia. And um, he was not just any eunuch, he was a unique eunuch, you might say. Uh, he was, as R. Kent Hughes says, a noble man on a noble search. And uh, he was in his nobility. He was that treasurer for Candace. I, I don't know. I've always liked that name, Candace. We have a cousin named Candace, a big fan of Full House, Candace Cameron. I mean, she's had a great career. Okay, anyways, um, we talked about TGIF before. You guys are in another world than me. But, uh, but Candace, it actually wasn't a girl's name. It actually was like a Caesar or like Herod. It was the name. It was the title she was the Candace. She was the queen. And here is her treasurer. Here is this guy of great authority, made a eunuch on purpose. Many of the royalties, if there was a man going to be serving in the house, they would make this individual a eunuch so that there would be no hanky-panky. All right? There would be no scandals in the king's house or in the queen's house. This was an, an individual that was to be about the financial business of, of the castle. And so for some reason though, he finds himself in Jerusalem. He finds himself with a copy of the Bible, such a rare thing, a copy of the prophet Isaiah. And he finds himself seeking the Lord, which for a eunuch was unique. Okay. If you read Deuteronomy, you see that that the eunuchs were excluded from being able to enter into the house of the Lord. They were excluded from the fellowship And yet there was prophecy pointing forward for the day in which the Lord would draw the outcasts near. And in Isaiah chapter, uh, what is it here? 56, Isaiah chapter 56, just this January, we as a church fasted for five days and we read through the book of Isaiah together corporately. It was such a sweet time together. And one of the big themes that we saw in the book of Isaiah was that the hero, the champion of heaven was going to come and he was going to draw all outcasts to himself. Do you ever feel like an outcast? I'm sure many of us in many different ways, you just, you feel like you don't fit in, or maybe you've been literally cast out. You know, you don't have a set of teeth like this guy and eyeballs like this and an Adam's apple like this and just get accepted by everybody in middle school. You know, you're kind of like, why don't you go play basketball at the short hoop, you know? And so learned how to dunk. I'm really good at that on short hoops. Um, uh, (laughs) Anywho, uh, the Lord is in the business of drawing near the outcast, the, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. And in Isaiah 56, and I hope you'll take the time to, um, to just process it as I read it. It says, do not let the son of the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord speak saying, 
The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them, I will give my house and within my walls, a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. They shall not be cut off. Also the sons of foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and who love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. And so you have the Lord draw near the eunuchs. It's part of the promise of the new covenant. And here you have a eunuch reading the scroll of Isaiah. Just he's three chapters away from this. I'm sure by after his encounter with Philip, he's going to, within a few hours, he'll be reading this so, saying, Amen, 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 Lord. But that it's the heart of the Lord to draw near the outcasts and to make them better than sons and daughters. To inherit his kingdom, that is the business of the Lord. And here is this eunuch who had, Luke tells us, come to Jerusalem to worship. In Acts 8, 28, it says he was returning. He's on his way home, sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And so he's going back home. He's in a chariot. You know, a lot of times you might imagine something like, um, you know, Pharaoh and his army's uh, chariots, right? You know, something, a two-man chariot. You got the driver and you got the archer, you know? And you just picture this eunuch just hanging on for dear life, going Mach 10 down through the desert, you know, bumping all around, trying to get back. Uh, But really it speaks more of a covered wagon, some of you are like, that's more my pace, you know, or an ox drawn wagon that uh, is going about walking pace. Okay. And as he's going, he's got a Bible, you know, or he's got a scroll and he's reading from this scroll and uh, Philip, you know, he's going to be able to hear him reading. And in Acts eight twenty nine, it says in the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. And so uh, back in our 26, remember, it said that an angel told Philip to go down to the desert. Here we see the spirit is communicating uh, to Philip. And again, he says, go. And here it's go near and overtake the chariot. So you have one writer called it the divine monitor or the spirit speaking this time. And I just wrote in my notes, I had it from years past in the book of Acts, two things about this. Number one. The men God uses are sensitive to the spirit. The men God uses are sensitive to the spirit. There are those who spend time in prayer and fasting and and reading the word and being sensitive to the voice of the Lord. Here we hear him, uh, the Lord say, go and overtake this chariot. Now, what you have is a little bit of a Robin Hood situation where you have the treasurer cruising through the wilderness in in a covered wagon and go and overtake this chariot, you know, so you can just picture a gunfight scene, you know, and just cruising through the wilderness and Philip chasing him down. I I laugh because in Nepal, we have a 10 hour bus ride sometimes. And sometimes you get a good bus, it has a TV in it and they'll play movies over and over again. and, And Nepali music videos over and over and just loop it. Well, the Nepali movie star, kind of their Arnold Schwarzenegger is this little chubby round guy, uh, kind of a Chris Farley type, you know, and, uh, 
And he's like, I don't speak Nepali, but it seems like whatever he's saying is hilarious. You know, we're just like laughing at his little one-line Nepali zingers, you know. And uh, But I think the best part of these action movies for me is that there's these chase scenes, okay? And I don't think they can get movie permits to just go Mach 10 around Kathmandu, you know, and, and shoot off firearms, you know. Um, but they will be out in the wilderness on these desert dirt roads and they're only going like two miles an hour chasing each other. And so it's like, but the sound effects that they've got going are, and like hanging out the window, pew, 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 you know? And, uh, and so, you know, I read this account and I'm thinking Nepali action picture here, because you've got a eunuch on an ox drawn covered wagon, and then you've got uh, this prophet chasing him down. And overtaken him. So who knows how fast the guy was going. Might have been a good speed. And he had to run and hop on the running boards. And wind kind of flapping and the scroll kind of flapping. And, and uh, you know, the radio is on. And he's reading the book of Isaiah. And here's, this is, you, you read it and see what works best in your mind, okay? Um, verse 30, that's about 20 minutes of your life you'll never get back. I apologize. Um, verse 30, so Philip ran to him. Now, just as we saw earlier... Go to the road to Gaza. This is desert. So Philip went. Now we have go overtake this chariot. Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. So my second point that I just had in my my notes were the men that God uses are obedient to the spirit. Again, being faithful in those little things. Go, go right now. Go speak, go encourage, go minister, Go reach out, go do it. And, uh, you know, even one time I was just, as I was teaching in first service, I just felt the Lord say, what just step does the Lord have you guys to take this week? Maybe it's someone you need to reconcile with. Maybe it's someone you need to apologize to. Maybe it's someone you need to cross that street, take them a warm plate of cookies, welcome them to the neighborhood and love on them and just, and just be welcoming. Uh, you know, maybe it's like this person's been burning on your heart and it is time to go and open your mouth about the gospel. I, I personally had a time where um, there was a, a brother in the Lord and, and myself who uh, we were at a rift. We had a schism and, uh, and, a, and we disagreed about something and, and he'd left the church and, um, and, you know, people were like, hey, why don't you reach out to that guy? And I'm like, I just... I just don't think that it's the right time. I don't like the Lord isn't saying go yet, you know? And, uh, and as I just prayed and prayed and prayed, I just, I just felt like the Lord's like, not yet. He's not ready yet. He's not going to hear it yet. And then it was just amazing because there was this one day where, and you know, I'm aware of the scriptures. Like if your brother has something against you, like we had already like parted fellowship. They had, they were gone and, and not happy. And, uh, and it's like, okay, Lord, here I am. Have me go, have me call whenever it is, whenever it is. And there was this one day that the Lord said, get ready because it's today. And I see this individual and I just go at him. You know, I was, you know, I, it was like, you know, when the racehorse goes in and they're at the, the gate and then it's just like, and I saw that person. And it was like, I was like rich strike at the Kentucky Derby, you know, bobbing and weaving through the other horses to get. And the amazing thing is the Lord had been speaking to him the same thing. And we ran and we embraced and we wept and we confessed our sin to one another. And there, our wives are watching. There's kids there. It was actually a, an event. There were people at it. And we just repented 
and just it just restored relationship. And even to this day, I'll see him. I was at the ATM the other day, and he saw me, and he pulled off, and he jumped out, and he ran over to the ATM, and he said, give me all your money, and then I realized it wasn't him. It was this whole thing. It's funny how things were. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't. He was just like, oh, it's just so good to see you, you know, and uh, just praise the Lord. And just sometimes, like, there's just stuff happening that you're like, Lord, I don't know how it's supposed to work or how this is supposed to happen, but here I am. Just prepare me, and when it's time to go, go. And I want to be obedient to you. Just have that heart. Maybe the Lord has something for you. I want to do it. You say go. I'm going, Lord. And uh, so Philip ran to him and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. This is verse 30. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? Just a nice, cordial question as he hopped up on the running boards of this guy's Cadillac. You know, it's just like, what? I'm just being nice here, right? Just a good, humble, kind, courteous question. And, uh, and it's interesting, he heard this guy reading and, and a couple of quotes, you know, one guy, I think it was Stott that said, how else did people read in ancient literature? You know, they, they read out loud. That was the way they did it. Or let me just quote, uh, FF Bruce, a good historian to you. Reading in antiquity was almost invariably done aloud. Why this should be so will be apparent to anyone who tries to read a copy of the ancient manuscript. The words need to be spelled out. And this is done more easily aloud than in silence. In addition, beginners regularly read aloud. It requires considerable experience, not to say sophistication, to read silently. Though this stage is reached more quickly with modern print than with ancient handwriting. But I just want to encourage you, if you're struggling reading the Bible, you know, your your method has been get all snuggled up as snug as a bug in a rug and just, just, you know, just going to try to read the Bible in bed. Like, I recommend maybe sitting up and maybe even beginning to read out loud and read as a family, you just it'd be amazing the information that you'll retain and process. That's not the point of this though, so we're gonna move on. He said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come on up and to sit with him. So you have just a humble, generous question and you have a humble response. And, and John Calvin is quoted by John Stott. And I have the quote for you here where Calvin contrasts the Ethiopian's modesty and that he acknowledged his ignorance freely and frankly. I mean, you know how it is like, Hey, do you understand you talking to the coworker, you know, the machinist at the mill, you know, and Hey, do you understand, you know, uh, book of Leviticus, you know, you know, it's like, oh, that did not go well, you know, and this guy is just humbly, I mean, he's a nobleman, right? He's a treasure. And just with humility, he says, uh, I'm ignorant. And he acknowledges that freely and frankly with a person who is swollen headed. This is the contrast. Someone who's swollen headed with confidence in his own ability. John Calvin goes on. That is also why the reading of scriptures bear fruit with such a few people today, because scarcely one in a hundred is to be found who gladly submits himself to teaching. The fact is that God has given us two gifts. First, the scriptures and secondly, teachers to open up, explain, expound and apply the scriptures. That is such a biblical principle, you guys, that that we've been given two gifts. Number one, the scripture. If you know church history and you know the history of how we got the Bible in the English language to have our own personal copies, you would value your Bible. You'd be taking it places. You'd be memorizing it. You'd be rejoicing that you have a Bible. Even today, uh, as I was getting ready for church, I listened to a friend of mine. He's 97 years old 
and he pastors in Hobie Sound, Florida. And he was a World War II um, ball turret gunner on a B-17 and fought in over Germany. And he started a church back in the 60s and he still pastors it and he preaches on Sunday mornings. And I like to tune in on Sundays and listen to him. And he was saying today, just with fire and gusto, that you ought to be so thankful for the Bibles that you have. And if you don't have a Bible, take one home with you. It's the one chance I'll allow stealing in the church. You take those Bibles and you go read them, you know. And uh, just a sweet old guy, Charlie Phillips that he is. And, uh, and so we have that gift of the scriptures. You know, the other gift that you have are men who study the word to be able to expound it to you. And I just want to encourage you guys, you know, we live in a day and age, probably like no other time in history, where you know, I'll recognize and realize to you that I'm, you Google good gospel-centered preacher, and you're going to find a lot of guys better than me, and better than the elders in our church, okay? I think we all would say, yeah, probably. There's some guys out there that are good to listen to, right? Um, but those men have not been entrusted with the shepherding and tending and the pastoring of you, within their local congregation. If you understand New Testament ecclesiology and studying the New Testament, you understand that one of the points of ecclesiology is that God has given the church pastors, shepherds, to tend and protect the flock, to protect from false doctrine, to guard truth. And Paul writes uh, to Timothy in the pastoral epistles, and he tells uh, Timothy to preach the word, to be ready in season, out of season, that he is to do the good, diligent work of a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, one that rightly divides the word of truth. And that phrase, rightly divide the word, speaks of plowing straight lines. We appreciate that in this uh, era, in this age of Prineville and farming. Plow straight lines through the word. Genesis through Revelation, teaching the word of God. As Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I haven't withheld anything from you. I've taught the word of God to you. And we see this uh, great ministry of dividing the word of God and plowing straight lines in Nehemiah chapter 8. When they came back into Jerusalem after captivity, the Levites and Ezra, these guys stood up and it says they helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God and they gave the sense and they helped them to understand the reading. And so I would encourage you guys to be faithful to be at church, to be at Proverbs in the park and to be at the things where we are being faithful to give you the word. You be faithful to receive the word. You don't got to receive it willy nilly. Be as a Berean in Acts chapter 11, uh, 17, 11, where it says that the Bereans were fair minded individual who searched the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. And I invite you have open Bibles when you come here. And you can study and see if the things that are said from this pulpit are biblical. We want to be biblical, friends. And so, uh, and so you have, uh, it's the history of God's tending his people that they would open up the Bible, give the sense of the Bible, and bring the application from the word, trusting the Holy Spirit to press these things into the hearts of people. So how did it go in Philip's case as he does this with the eunuch? Look in verses 32 through 35. The place in the scripture which the eunuch read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? 
for his life is taken from the earth. And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself, Isaiah, or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And so uh, you've got this reading of this incredible passage and this great question, who is this? Is he talking about Isaiah himself or who else? Who's being spoken of here? Uh, he is reading from a passage, you guys, Isaiah 53, that is ideally suited as a starting point to preach the Christian message. Uh, it was F.F. F. Bruce that said, uh, let's see, where are we here? Hopped, uh, oh, here, it's highlighted in my notes, giant bright yellow, so I should have seen it right away. I don't know, you guys, this is, this is what you get. I apologize. Uh, F.F. Bruce writes this, and I heard it. It was referenced probably three times in my studying. So I was like, I got to give this to the people. At a time when not one line of any New Testament document had been written, what scripture could any evangelist have used more fittingly as a starting point for presenting the story of Jesus to one who did not know him? It's Isaiah 53, you guys. This is the book that the guy, this is what the guy was reading as he's cruising along in his chariot. And it was like the Lord was just giving Philip an opportunity on a platter. Pray for those opportunities, okay? Lord, just, you know me, I'm kind of dense. I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. I'm going to need it like hand fetch, spoon feed it to me, Lord, give it to me. Well, how about Isaiah chapter 53? To this day, Isaiah chapter 53 is called the forbidden chapter. And Jews are encouraged to ignore Isaiah chapter 53 because of the implications of who it is it's written about. There's a guy who has a YouTube channel and he goes around and he asks Jews in Jerusalem to read on camera Isaiah 53. So they read it and then he says, who's that speaking of? And they go, speaking of Jesus. And many people are coming to Jesus through this forbidden chapter. Uh, Chris has told me of, of a friend of his that as they were at the gym working out, um, Chris often prays with the people he's working out with. We pray often at the gym and, uh, and someone was observing this. So he came over and asked if he could pray and found out that this guy uh, was Jewish. And as, uh, Chris learned this, you know, he's learning about all kinds of fitness things from this guy. And, uh, Chris ends up getting to lead this guy to the Lord and using Isaiah 53 in this. And as the guy becomes a Christian, he goes to his mom and he says, mom, you've got to read Isaiah 53. And she is so concerned for her Jewish son who's now become a Christian. And she's like, son, you got to go speak to your rabbi. And he's like, mom, you got to read Isaiah 53. And she's like, I'll read Isaiah 53 if you go speak to the rabbi. And she reads Isaiah 53 and he says, mom, who's that talking about? And she says, it's talking about Jesus, you know? And now this man, he's in, we're going to meet him in Jerusalem when we go in November. Uh, he is ministering to Jews in Jerusalem. What a wonderful thing. Huh? Isaiah 53 and Philip opens up this and beginning at this scripture, he expounds and he preaches Jesus. And we've talked about this in chapter eight already, haven't we? What do we preach when we go out? We're not preaching social justice, guys. We're preaching Jesus. And as Jesus is preached, he handles the social justice issues of the day. Uh, Philip preached Jesus Christ. And man, as he preached it, it led me to first Peter one. If you'll bear with me, we're just going to read uh, three verses here. First uh, Peter one ten, 
Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace of God that would come to you. So he's talking about Jesus and he says, the prophets, they've been speaking about Jesus this whole time. All the Old Testament, who's it pointing towards? Who's this hero, this champion of heaven that they're all looking towards? It's Jesus. All the prophets were inquiring and looking for the grace that would come through Jesus. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So referencing Isaiah 53 there in Peter, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who've preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then there's this incredible phrase, things which angels desire to look into. I love that phrase because it shows that, you know, how do the angels get intrigued? What docu-series are the angels watching up in heaven? They are just fascinated by the story of redemption through Christ Jesus. I mean, they have been there from the beginning. They were there when there was the great rebellion in heaven and the worship leader, Lucifer, led this great rebellion and a third of the angels followed him and fell out of heaven like lightning. They were there when God pursued people throughout history in the Old Testament and was working redemption and grace toward them. They were watching the people just throw it back in God's face and worship idols and created things and throw their earrings in a fire and make calves and all sorts of immorality and injustice and wickedness. And they were watching the spiritual warfare that's going on and they watched the fullness of the time come as Galatians chapter four says, when the son of God laid aside his rights and privileges of deity, And he took on human flesh and dwelt among his own creation. And they watched as he suffered in all points that we were, but he never sinned. And they watched as his own friends abandoned him and betrayed him. And they watched as his own creation murdered him and hung him on a Roman cross. And they watched as he was buried in the tomb. And they were there when he rose from the dead. And they were there with the message that he is not here, for he is risen. And they were there when he ascended back into heaven. And they were there when he had the great homecoming on Ascension Day. And he came to the right hand of the Father and he declared the victory. And now he ever lives to make intercession. They've seen it from beginning to end and they desire to look into it. And you zoom back into this chariot on the road and here he is opening up the prophet Isaiah, speaking the things which angels desire to look into. And beginning at this verse, he preached Christ. Now, verse 36, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized. And so you take this road and there's only a couple cisterns and there's one well-known water cistern on this road. It's believed to be the same water source that this eunuch pointed out. We'll go there. Sometimes the bus stops just a little bit before we get there and you hop off. By the way, I'm plugging our Israel November 2022 trip. If you're not signed up, get signed up. But in this November, we'll have the bus stop just before we get to the cistern. And then we'll all run down the hill like we're chasing a chariot. And then we'll come to the cistern and we'll read this passage. There's still some water there and some mosquitoes too. It's really special. You won't believe it. Um, but, uh, but he asked this incredible question, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Or why shouldn't I be baptized? And it's a great question for you today if you're a follower of Jesus. So many, so many Christians believe in Jesus and then for some reason they balk at the water. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm training a little filly right now, and, and she's just beautiful horse, just works so hard. She'll give everything she got, but she's at a place right now where we're working through this water issue where we'll get, we'll get to the water, and she won't go in. She won't go in. She won't get in. So we work on it, work on it, work on it. Finally, with a little bit of encouragement and exhortation, she either launches over it or goes through it. And then about an hour later, we'll hit water again. And she doesn't want to go to it and want, doesn't want to go through it. It's like Christians. It's like there's something in our intellect that's like, surely God doesn't really want me to go get wet in front of people in my Sunday best and have mascara run down my face. That's not the God that I know. All right. There's something about it. And no wonder, why wouldn't the Lord say, hey, as your first act of obedience to your king as a born-again saved person, here's something I want for you. I want you to stand in front of your friends and family in the public and declare that you are not your own anymore, but you've been bought with a price. And I believe that the moment that you do that just silly, humbling thing, like being in a dunk tank or something, you know, that the rest of the things that God calls you to will be easy and, and you know, you're faithful in this little thing and he's going to just give you more and more opportunities to shine like a light for him. Now that's not a great theology of baptism. Okay. Romans chapter six just really helps us with it and shows not necessarily how we're baptized, but why we're baptized, that it's a picture of us uniting ourselves with Jesus, that just as Jesus died and buried and was rose again, baptism is that place where we come to water and we say the old Rory, and all of his lusts and all of his selfishness and all of his ways and all of his covetousness and all of his thieveries and all of his idolatries and all of his hating, gathering on the Lord's day and observing these special days that the Lord has set apart. All of these things that Rory wants what Rory wants. Well, guess what world? Rory has died with Jesus and been crucified with Christ. But just as Jesus didn't stay dead, so too does there, is there a new Rory who's resurrected and lives in resurrection power. It echoes Galatians chapter one, that I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live and the life that I live, I don't live in the flesh anymore, but I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I ask you, have you ever made that step where you stand in front of God and country, all right, in front of all the friends, in front of your community, and they see that individual that they work with, that runs the backhoe, you know, that, that uh, <clears throat> ships the packages, that, uh, that sells the light bulbs, that is the checker at the store. I know that person. Ooh, I know her. Oh, she's my son's baseball coach. Oh, well, oh, and you know what? They know Jesus. And they're a follower of Jesus and they're not their own and they don't live for themselves, but they live for someone higher than them. And they're testifying of repentance to sin and faith in Christ. And so lucky for you today, there's no water. (laughs) Okay. But next week there will be water. Okay. We'll have a horse trough at the park. What hinders you from being baptized? And part of my testimony is I was baptized when I was eight. And I knew the gospel, but my motivating factor for me was we were Baptists and to have communion at the Baptist church, you had to be baptized into Bible Baptist church of Klima Falls. And I was really getting miffed that I wasn't getting cracker and juice time in the middle of the service. And so, hey, I also get to swim in the middle of the service to get the cracker and juice. Sign me up. All right. And so I got baptized when I was eight years old. And and then as time went on and I began to walk with the Lord and know the Lord I was, began to just have the conviction that since I, since I believed the gospel, I hadn't been baptized. And so 
uh, by that point, I was in ministry. I was a youth pastor and I was on my way to pastor a, a little church in central Oregon. And, uh, and my pastor gave a message on baptism one Sunday and it was so convicting and the Holy Spirit was moving that I got up, we're out in the Corvallis amphitheater, we're outside and a beautiful baptismal that I helped build. And, uh, I just was like, it's today's the day. And I took my shoes off and I started walking up and the enemy said, what do you think you're doing? You pastor going up to get baptized in front of all your students that you've been ministering to for nine years in front of all these people that you've been preaching to and you yourself haven't been baptized. And I turned around and I went back to my chair and I put my shoes back on. And then I went on and I pastored a church in Oregon and, or in central Oregon in Prineville and years went by and I just still felt the conviction of the Lord since, since you've believed, have you been baptized? And finally, in 2012, it was 10 years ago, I was in Israel and I shared with the whole Israel group that I hadn't been baptized since I'd believed the gospel. And I got baptized. And uh, baptism, I was able to just share publicly the death to Rory and the life to Jesus. You know, there's an old story of a chaplain in the army back in the Gulf War. And that lots of soldiers were getting saved before they went into combat. And he had to baptize them, but it was only desert. So he took a coffin and he sealed it watertight and he filled it up with water and he started baptizing these soldiers in coffins. It's just such a picture of the Christian life, death to sin, alive to Jesus. I don't encourage you, have you made that, that statement? There's an old wives tale, an old, you know, not that wives tales are all bad, but uh, there's an old story, right? That, uh, that uh, the longer you're held underwater, the more sin that you had in your life. And so as I was in, Rob Verdine, he's my pastor, and he was baptizing me in the Jordan. And as I'm in the Jordan, I'm under the water, and I just shared my testimony. And I just was like, man, I'm in the same place that Jesus was baptized. Oh, man. And Lord, it is so good to be obedient. Finally, just thank you, Lord, for leading me to finally be obedient man, I've been underwater for a long time. <laughs> and we have pictures. It was back in the day where the, the rapid picture, you know, thing. And uh, there's pictures of Rob dunking me and then looking around at the crowd and kind of like, you know, and then me coming up. And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you. I promise I won't hold you under for too long next week, but next week there will be water available. But, but what's the answer to the question? We haven't answered the question, right? Here is water, what hinders me from being baptized. Then verse 37, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so what is the answer to what, what should happen for you to be baptized? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. What are you to believe in? Are you to believe that you can fly? You know, poor R. Kelly's going through some things these days, you know. Do you believe that you can fly? Uh, do you believe in miracles? You know, uh, what, what do you believe in? Well, the eunuch answers it when he says, um, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and all that that implies. That's good news. And that's a simple answer. But here's the rough news. This verse was not in the original manuscripts. Okay. So this was a scribal note that got put in. Okay, now don't let that shake your faith. The beautiful thing is, 
is that we have such integrity in the scriptures that we know what verses were scribal notes that were set. Maybe at one point they were down here, and then as it was copied, it was put in. And many of the critics, textual critics, don't believe the Bible. They don't believe it's inerrant. They believe it's you know fallible. And, and so they're, they get messed up with this. But the beautiful thing is, is that, hey, we've got integrity. We know what is in the original. We know that the veracity of the scriptures has nothing to worry about. We're able to say, you know, oh, here's some, here's some verses that were added here or there for different purposes. And they're still wonderful. Like, is this a true statement? What, what should I do before I get baptized? Well, you should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I believe in him with all my heart. Those are good things and good to be used, but we just don't hold them on the same level as the, the verses front and behind it, okay? And you do your study on textual criticism and you see that we have got a pillar. I think that the documents that there are of the Homer and Ulysses and Plato that are like valid, good documents uh, are about as high as this pulpit of original manuscripts that there are. You want to know the original manuscripts that we have of the scripture that know it can be trusted and there's nothing we should have any doubt in? They're as high as two and a half empire state buildings. There is no other historical book that has this kind of integrity but the Bible. So it's a great verse. Can we use it? Yes. It's just not what maybe you you thought it was. Okay. So my encouragement to you is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, that he's the son of God and be baptized. And so verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And so we have this wonderful picture of, uh, of baptism uh, after belief and, uh, and something that should accompany salvation. And we're going to have the worship team come on up. You guys, second service, such ultimate marathon runners being able to go kind of long as we as uh, second service tends to do sometimes uh, but worship team come on up you know there are there are movements that believe that to be saved you must be baptized uh, I, I believe that that is incompatible with scripture and the gospel of grace now we know the gospel and it is so wonderful and great salvation is so great why wouldn't you be baptized after you're saved and after you're born again? Why, why wouldn't you obey? It may just be there's this struggle throughout life uh, that, you know, man, you need to like come to terms with what the Lord's calling you to and be baptized. But in regards to uh, salvation, uh, baptism being necessary for salvation, I don't believe that's a biblical principle um, in, in line with the gospel of grace. Uh, however, I do believe that if you believe, if you believe, obey. And those who believe, obey. And so move towards that. God's got you a place today where you're being challenged to obey in this area of water baptism. And I would say next week would be that wonderful opportunity to do so. Closing up, uh, verse 39. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So you have this great miracle, quantum leap, beam me up, Scotty type of a thing, where you know they come up out of the water, and boom, Philip is gone. He's he's you know a number of miles away, and he begins ministering and going up the coastline to Caesarea, where he'll be at the end of the book of Acts. We'll see him there with a great family and a great ministry. But 
the original language of this. And here you're like, oh, here we go again. Let me guess. This wasn't in the Bible. Okay. In the, in the original manuscripts, but the translation, we, we're missing something. And so we can always, we always go back to the original. And it says, the spirit caught Philip away and the spirit came upon the Ethiopian eunuch. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's joy. So that eunuch went away with what? Great joy. And do you know what happened to him later on in life? Some believe Ignatius, the historian, says he went back and became an evangelist and led many Ethiopians to Christ. And I have it written in my notes. For the sake of time, I'll spare you the details. But something like 60% of Ethiopia is considered a Christian nation. And it's been that way since the second century, uh, church history says. So kind of a fantastic and wonderful thing of this story. Amen. You guys spent... Ready to go for more? I, I've studied chapter nine. Let's get into it. So anyways, Saul. Okay, that's later. Let's stand together, you guys, and uh, we'll pray. Lord, in this place, uh, Lord, we have many wonderful Christians that love you, Lord, and are stoked about salvation. And you're calling us to go out of our comfort zone and tell people about Jesus, to be sensitive to the spirit and obedient to the spirit. And we pray that you would work that in us, Lord, in the elders, in the deacons, uh, in the, the serving women in this church, the serving men and the youth, let us be sensitive to the spirit. Let us have ears tuned to you through the little things, Lord. Uh, for those that are Ethiopian eunuchs in this group that, that maybe came today because they were invited by friends or family and they didn't know you, Lord, but they're humble enough to say that they need to know you. And they would be humble enough to hear the message today and say, yep, I'll buy that. Yep, I'll receive that. Yep, I need that. And if that's you today, just where you're at with faith like a little child, maybe just pray that prayer to the Lord. Yes, I need what this pastor is speaking to me, Lord. I need a new heart, a new life. And I have so many sins that have just been destroying my life and my world. And Lord, I need you to, to let my old man be dead. And I need a new life in you. I need to be born again, God. And if you pray that prayer, just receive the new life by faith right now. Maybe even today, the Lord would just purpose in your heart to be baptized. Maybe today you've been a Christian for a year, two years, 20 years. You just never have been obedient. You've balked at the water. And you need a purpose in your heart. Next week is the day. I'm going to make a public confession. I'm going to invite my coworkers to come see me be baptized. I'm going to invite my soccer team. I'm going to invite everyone I know to come and see me be baptized. I'm going to testify of Jesus that day. Let's just let the Lord press these truths into our heart as we close with this final song today. Go ahead, Adam.